This morning I want to preach to you from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 19. We'll see if we get that far. The message is entitled, The Assignment of Faith. Let's pray. Father, now I pray that you might fill me with your spirit, that the message might be from you. Lord, apply it to our hearts that we might go equipped from this place to be a light, even clear of your grace and of your love to those who are in the shadows. Lord, that we might be found faithful in our time and our place, that as a church and as individual families and people, Lord, we might hear from you, well done. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. The assignment of faith. First Corinthians or Hebrews eleven eleven by faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead, and that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. As it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendants, shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. The assignment of faith. What is your assignment today as a believer? Abraham had assignment. If you look at the life of Abraham, it begins in the end of Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis 12 too. God comes to Abraham and he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, you might think that Abraham's assignment was to be about nation building, because that's what God said. But when you get down to the bottom line, what God was trying to make Abraham was the father of faith. Just like he's trying to do with all of us. That we would learn to trust God in everything. That we would learn to be obedient to the promises of God in spite of trials, in spite of difficulties, that we would keep our eyes on God. He told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abram had an interesting name. It was called, his his name meant the father of many. If you ask Abram how many kids he had, zero. Because God was going to do a work in him. That when he got done, everybody could only say, that was God. That was God. 
in our lives, it is natural for us to try to figure out how to do it. How to figure out and help God along. And even as believers, sometimes we buy into that false notion that God helps those that help themselves. It's not in the Bible, by the way, unless you have the book of hesitations. Not in there. Jesus said what? Follow me. Follow me. And God gives assignments that are impossible to fulfill without the power of the Spirit, without His provision, without His protection. Impossible. Because God wants us to be living lives that are unexplainable. I'll make you a great nation. And yet, it took a long time. It says there in verse 4 that he was 75 years old when he entered the promised land. 75. Well, people did live a little bit longer in those days. So 75, I mean, he had ancestors that had kids at probably 200, but I mean, I think uh, the rays from the sun are starting to take its toll and, and people are not living as long. But 75, he probably could have done it. And he lives 10 years in the land. He reminds him, I'm going to give this land to your descendants, verse 7. This is your, I want you to stay in this land. I don't want you to possess it yet. I just want you to live here. His first test, a famine. What did he do? Heads down into Egypt. Well, that's a logical thing to do. There are so many things in our life we don't even think about because we think, well, that's just the right thing. I, God doesn't have to help me with this because I know this. I have this part figured out. Heads down into Egypt, what does he do? He fails. He gets afraid for his life. And he had this deal with his wife, who was actually his half-sister, again, because it's earlier times. And so Pharaoh sees his wife, who's 65, she must have been an amazing woman because Pharaoh decides he'd like to add her to his little entourage, his own little harem, and he takes her. Because Abraham said, oh, it's my sister. Oh, you want her? Okay, you can have her. Boy, a great protection he is, huh? The thing you got to remember, though, is that God is in the process of conforming him through faith to his image. He's getting rid of the dross. You have a trial. God squeezes you a little bit. And that fear comes out, that anger comes out, that ugly comes out. Don't say, oh, that's not me. No, no, no. As a believer, you can say, yep, that was me. Mm -hmm. I got squeezed, and the ugly came out, and that was me. Confess it, identify with it as God does with sin. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. So Pharaoh takes Sarah to be his wife, whom God had chosen to be the wife of the nation, or the mother of the nation, and he tells Pharaoh, nothing's going to happen around here, buddy. You better, you better give her back. And so he does, and he chastises Abraham, and Abraham says, well, I had this deal with her that, you know, she is so beautiful, I thought everybody would want her, and they'd kill me to get her. So he was just thinking about himself. See, maybe he misunderstood just like we do. God gave an assignment. He gave him a promise. He said, I'm going to make your name great. But you know whose name he's really going to make great? God's, his own name. 
this assignment really wasn't about Abraham. It really wasn't. It is about what God was going to do with somebody that he picked out of paganism to make his own name great. We read in Romans chapter 5 that Abraham believed God. It's chapter 4. Abraham believed God and he counted his righteousness. He believed God. Here in this chapter, we find all these wonderful things about Abraham. God just remembers that. That's why Paul could say, you don't have to look behind. Just confess your sin and move forward. Don't, don't get distracted by your failures in the past. Confess them as sin and move forward. Because God's not going to remember them. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? You get to heaven, there's not going to be the list. Okay, now listen, you barely got in. And you had these problems, so no, no, no. You've been made perfect. And the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as you're removed, your sin from you. And here's the blessing. God remembers them no more. That means he's not going to hold them against you. And that's why I think we see these positive things of faith here. Because God is going to work out Abraham's salvation. He is going to conform him to his image. He is in the process because faith is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. So after this promise in, in, in chapter 12, Abraham builds an altar. Goes right into Egypt and fails. He goes back to Bethel. And he divides from Lot. Remember, Lot, God said, separate from your family. He brought Lot with him. There became some tension, which was God, between their herds, Abraham's herdsmen, Lot's herdsmen. And so he said, Lot, you choose. And so Lot chose the better stuff, he thought. I'm sure Lot knew that Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked places, but they had green pastures, and so he went that direction. God was working to cause obedience in Abraham's life. Well, it's not too much further, and Lot gets in trouble because some kings dumb down, and they carry him and his family and some kings off captive. And that's why I want you to see, because if you read the, the passage there in Genesis, Abraham's a mighty man. He's got an army, an entourage of an army that goes with him. He's not just some guy that's afraid all the time, but even in this man with an army is this fear. God's going to work that out because God wants him to make him the father of our faith. So he goes and he captures, wins the battle, brings everybody back. Nobody's life is lost. They get all their stuff back. And we see him worship God with Melchizedek. We've already looked at Melchizedek. And then in Genesis 15, he has a vision. God reminds him again. He's been in the land 10 years now. He reminds him again, this is what I'm going to do. And he's, he's got an idea. He's got a better, Lord, Lord, let me make it easy on you. I've got Eliezer of Damascus, my servant. I mean, who's like him? Why don't we just make him the heir? Because he's looking at his own flesh and going, this ain't going to happen. He's now 85. God says, nope, of your own flesh, from your own body is going to come this one 
It says in Genesis 16, now Abraham is 86 years old. And Sarah decides she will help God. And she says, you know, I got this handmaiden. She's young. She can bear. You know, I guess I'm the problem. So why don't you just take her? And it's her big idea. And so Abraham, he gives in to his wife. Guys, how many times? Just, just because your wife, she's, wife, she's your wife and she's right 90% of the time doesn't mean she's always right, right? But you love her, you want to make her happy, so you'll go along. This was not a good decision for Abraham to make. And so they have a son. And that son becomes the father of the Arab people who have been a problem to Israel since that time. Does God still love those people? Amen and amen. He loves them. He's used them to discipline Israel, to try to get Israel's attention back on God. But this decision was not a good decision. And as soon as Hagar realized she was pregnant, she turned on her mistress. And then her mistress turned on her. Can you imagine what a happy family this is? And so he says, why, why, not, why not this son? Why not this son live before you, God? God said, nope. He's given him information now. It's going to be, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And it's not going to be your servant. It's going to be from your body. And then he, now he tells him, and it's also going to be from your wife. But let's wait 13 years. Why? Because God loves to build our faith. And he loves to know it's not about you. I'm going to do this. You don't have to figure out for God. When we pray, I hope you're not like this. When you're praying and we're laying hands on somebody to pray for their, their healing or you're praying for direction, you don't say, God, let your will be done because you're giving God an out. But you say, God, your will be done because you're looking to be right in the middle of his will. And you want to glorify his name because you don't have to give God any easy ways out. God is able. So from 86 to 99, 13 years later, and God shows up in Genesis 17. And he says, I want to make a covenant with you. This is going to be a covenant for your whole nation. For everybody that's born in your house, for any slave that lives in your house, I want you to circumcise all the males and every baby male when they're born at eight days old. This is Abraham's part of faith. If he believes God, he could wait on God. Okay, God, when you do that, when you give me a son, I will do that. But he doesn't immediately. He has all of his servants, everybody in his tents, all of his relatives, including the son that's 13 years old now. And including himself at 99. He's obedient. And God blesses him. And he shows up in the next chapter, chapter 18. The Lord shows up. Abraham recognizes who he is. And he bows down to worship him. And he says, just turn aside. Let, let me just take care of you. Let me get some water for you. Let me give you something to eat. And the Lord says, that's fine. You can do that. 
And he rushes around, he grabs a young calf, and he sends his servants out to prepare that. And his wife is making, help make the supper there in the tent. And the Lord begins to talk to Abraham. And he says, now when I come back a year from now, Sarah's going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. And Sarah's inside. And I just think this is amazing. She laughs. A lot of people give Sarah a hard time about laughing. I don't know if it was just the laughing of unbelief or the laughing is like, wow, that's going to be something. All we know is it said she laughed. So when the Lord gets a chance to talk to her, he says, why'd you laugh? Oh, now it's the Lord. It's like, I didn't laugh. Oh, yeah, you laughed. You laughed. And Abraham agrees. Oh, people are going to be laughing when they hear about this. That verse 12 says he was as good as dead. There is no way this man and this woman are going to have a baby apart from God. No way. It's not going to happen. As we're praying for the church in Cologne, they're looking for a place because they're growing. You see what's going on in Cologne? It's a mess over there. It's a terrible place to be. Years ago when we were up in Billings and we got this piano from a Bible church that had shut down, we were uh, loading pews and loading this piano at the time and there was some Native American men that were drunk there and one fell over and hurt himself and Sam went over and helped him and called the ambulance and the pastor who had closed the church down said, yeah, this is a bad place for a church. And Sam said, no, it's not. This is an amazing place. This is where the church should be. It's right here in the middle of this. A light for all to see. God puts us in places. And we think, well, there's no way this is going to happen. Right now they're looking for a building. Do you know how expensive things are in Cologne? And that church has not come as far as you have, but you know, we'll have our own tests also. And so they're looking, what can we afford? And they're trying to figure it out. And you know what's okay for them to go down that, that road a little bit? At the same time, their pastor's convinced that God's going to have to do something. The exciting thing about what's going on in that church is they're all starting to pray. See, when we begin to pray, when we all begin to pray together, then God could show all of us what he wants to do. So I hope you're praying for Cologne that, that God will give them a place that's just mind-blowing. That we will all have to say, well, that was God. Because we certainly don't have the strength and they certainly don't have the strength. But look what God has done. There's no way he's going to have a baby. And then they share with that man that's going to be the father of faith what they're going to do in Sodom. They said, the violence of Sodom and the cry of those that are abused and afflicted have come up before my eyes and, and I've got to destroy it. And Abraham pleads for the city. He says, well, you won't destroy it if there's starts with 100. How about 50? And he just does that dealing until he's down to 10. Certainly, Lot has had that much influence, they could just reach one of their family, right? Nope. And he leaves Abraham, he goes down, and they destroy, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because of its great wickedness. And Lot, Lot's life is a mess. Now, we read about Lot that he vexed his righteous soul, so I don't know. Maybe Lot's going to be in heaven, but he certainly made a mess of his life with his decisions that were about himself. 
Now, God has just visited Abraham in chapter 18, so a year hasn't gone by, and this fellow Abimelech shows up, and he does the exact same thing Abraham does. He lets Abimelech take his wife. Now, listen, she's 90. What kind of a woman looks this good at 90? Now, I don't know if God's already doing that work of returning there, but, but uh, Abimelech wants her. Abraham, with all of his armies, with all of the experiences he had with God, still has a moment. Listen, we have to keep our eyes on God all the time. You think, well, I know a lot. I've been to seminary. I've done this. So, so I won't fall into sin. Really? Listen, you need to be in the Word. I need to be in the Word every day. We need to be in prayer every day. It's just like a, a football player that, that's lifted a lot of weights, and now we're in the playoffs for the professionals tomorrow for the National Championship College. And one of those football players said, well, I don't need to eat today because I've get, gotten my weight up to a good thing. So I, I don't need to eat uh, because I know I've had a good diet, so I'll just skip eating before the big game. He said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why? Because you need the strength. Just because you know what the Word of God says doesn't need to be, you don't need to be in the Word that day. You need the strength for that day. You need strength for that day. It is spiritual food. And here's Abraham with all of his experience, takes his eyes off the Lord once again, showing us that he's not supernatural. He's a man. And he gives in. And Abimelech, <laughs> I love this. God comes to Abimelech and he says, Abimelech, you're a dead man. <laughs> Abimelech wasn't a believer before, but he was as soon as he heard God speak. See, that's what God says to every person that comes to Christ. You're a dead man. That's what happens. You realize you're in trouble. God says to your heart, you're a dead man. You better seek after me. And Abimelech says, I didn't touch her. And then he confronts Abraham. What are you doing? Abraham basically says, I was looking out for my own skin. Chapter 21, Isaac is born. It says in verse 2, at the appointed time, exactly when God said it happens. See, it's in God's time. You think things aren't happening, and so you, you get tired, and you slip all over into sin because God's not keeping up with your schedule. You ever get upset with God because he's not, Lord, we're going to lose this house if you don't get me a job. We don't get this deal. We don't this, And you have all these things that God's got, and, and God just kind of laughs doesn't he? And we get all frustrated and we run out of time. God's on his time schedule. And the safest, most peaceful place to be is get on his agenda. So well, how am I going to do that? Talk to him. Talk to him. Tell him your heart. Tell him how frustrated you are. Tell him those things. But don't do it in anger because he can, he knows how to discipline Say, God, I need to know. Give me peace about this. And you know what? God whispers peace into our heart. And so Isaac is born at the appointed time. In verse 11, we see that faith brings life. We read there that by faith Sarah. Now, some take 
occasion to say Sarah really didn't show faith. And, and, and this verse is, because it says here, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. But the words in the Greek say the ability to lay down seed. Well, we know girls don't do that. Boys do, right? So what was happening there? Well, it's Sarah in relationship with Abraham's faith. But some say, well, she never demonstrated a lot of faith. I think maybe she did. Do you know where I see the information from? In 1 Peter chapter 3. It's giving instruction to wives, and it says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. What was Sarah's assignment? Submit to her husband. That was her faith. Was he perfect? We've already seen that. Was she on the same page? Yes, she was willing to sacrifice her own happiness. She took things in her own hands. She used the right direction, wrong decision. But here, take Hagar. And her husband got talked into it. And she was willing to submit to her husband's wisdom when he said, hey, just pretend like you're my sister and not my wife. Two times. That's a big deal. That, that, that's, my friends, that is faith. She was trusting God to work through her husband even when her husband was wrong. How much stress do you put yourselves under, ladies? But you think, I think he's going to ruin us this time. And so you begin to be the constant drip in the corner or the railing wife because you got to hurt this thing. you got to get this thing back on track. And you miss the opportunity for God to straighten him out. You miss the opportunity for God to speak to him. You miss it. It says, Sarah had a gentle and quiet spirit. Was she born that way? I don't think so. I think she learned it as she walked in faith with her husband. I love that passage in Peter because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't know where Sarah was at. Was she just going along because she was kind of like property? No. I think she was growing in her faith also. Verse 12. Listen, faith is huge. Faith is huge. Live faith is an amazing thing. It's just the multiplying factor of one man's faith and then in association with a wife that was willing just to follow him. I mean, more than the sands of the sea. There is no way that Abraham could envision what the nation of Israel is today. We've had people like 
Hitler tried to exterminate them. Over 6 million Jews killed in the Second World War. And then God turned around and gave them their land back. Today, I, I, I looked it up. I think there are like 17 million Jews that claim being Jewish. Probably more that don't on the face of the earth today. And the things that all the world focus is centered on the children of Abraham. And you as believers, we're children of Abraham grafted in, are we not? That's what, that's what Paul said. See, he's not just the father of the Jewish people. He's the father of all that have put their trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. What's your assignment? Your first assignment is, Jesus said, follow me. Just follow me. When you got saved, that was what you signed up for, to follow Jesus wherever he was going to lead you. Follow me. Years ago, uh, an evangelist was here. And we'd seen, that was the year after we'd seen so many young people come to know Jesus Christ. And this evangelist warned me, now Paul, don't think you can go building based on college kids. I said, well, thanks a lot, but I think I'll be building on the Lord Jesus Christ, not college kids. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm not in charge of who gets saved. I'm just responsible to share the gospel. But you know, God led us to do some things that, the bankers still don't like what we do. They like us. But they say, you know, you, you, you support too many people. Okay. We'll let you know when God stops. See, we, we, don't, we don't keep ourselves in business. The Lord does. That's why it's so important for us to follow him and be obedient to truth and not try to figure out how to do it safe. I was talking with some of the fellows the other day and all of the amazing colleges and seminaries that were started based upon the word you know one of the most liberal universities in the land today is chicago university that was a baptist school baylor university baptist school clemson you just go down the list of all these places that were founded on the word of god for the development of pastors and missionaries but you know what happened guys money they got some guys on the board that say, well, hold on. we can't be taking the strong stand because Dr. Bigbridge is over here. He's going to leave us his money if we'll just change this, if we'll just tone this down. And old Bob Jones, senior with the Lord for decades now, in his book, Things I Have Learned, said, when Bob Jones University decides how to get money out of people and figures that out, it may not cease to be a university, but it will be the cease to be the university God intended it to be. Now, I don't know. I don't have any associated with Bob Jones, so I don't know where they're at today. But we've seen it happen over and over again, and we see churches die. Oh, yeah, they still got a building. They still have money in the bank, but they're dead. And like the church that John wrote to, they have a testimony of life, but there's no life because they made a decision they had to figure it out. They had to provide. They had to take care of it. 
Faith is huge. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says you can't imagine what God wants to do. In that prayer, God, Paul prays for the church. He said, now unto him who is able to do far abundantly beyond. Far abundantly beyond. We look at the assignment God has given every local church. It's an impossible assignment on their own. God expects every individual local church to be personally involved in discipling all the nations. Say, so, well, that's a big job. Yeah, it's a big job. And you know what, though? He just leads us a step at a time. He leads us which one we're support, what we're supposed to do. Where does it start? Acts 1.8 says, you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world. That's our assignment. Our Jerusalem is Laramie. We're to be an outpost right here in Laramie to saturate Laramie with the gospel of Jesus Christ. doesn't mean everybody's going to get saved. just means that's our opportunity. And then we're to look opportunities in our Judea. That's the same culture, but maybe further away. And our Samaria is close, but different culture. And then he says the uttermost part of the world. How are we going to do that? One assignment at a time. That's why it's so serious that you be praying for the elders and that we all be praying together, God, what's our assignment? And I said before, we have potential assignments, but we need to know if it's God's assignment or is it just what we can get done? God is so gracious that sometimes we make a wrong choice and then he says, no, that's not it, and he stops us. And we rejoice because we don't want to run ahead of the Lord. We don't want to do anything he's not in. But faith is huge. Thirdly, verses 13 through 16, faith changes everything. It changes everything. It said, all these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their they are seeking a country of their own, and indeed, if they had been thinking of the country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return, but as, as it is, there does they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It changes their direction. He changes your value system. And he becomes the most important thing in your life. Faith changes everything. It changes how you think about trial. It changes what you think success is. It, it, it changes what you think valuable is. The world is constantly selling an opinion that you should buy into, that you are what you drive, right? That's one opinion. So you better drive something nice so people will think more of you. You need to dress for success. And you need to have this kind of thing and this kind of thing. And they pile all up there, put all that pressure on you to what? It says in... Romans 12, 2, to conform you to the world. But if you take the word of God and you saturate your life, then what will happen is you will not be conformed to the world. You'll be conformed to the will of God. It changes everything. 
It changed about what they thought were important. See, it's natural in us to want to put roots down and possess things and have things because that's security. But Abraham passed on a faith that for generations they didn't possess, but it wasn't a problem because their focus had become God. They wanted to possess him. Fourthly, live faith grows. It's a journey. You see, Abraham could not do the test of offering his own son up in the beginning of his life, couldn't he? God didn't ask him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, there's no trial taking you, but such is a common, common to man, and God is faithful. Not allow a trial into your life that you're not able to bear it. You're not able to go through it. So when you have a trial, you think it's huge, you think you can't do it. Remember, God's not depending on you. He's the one that will bring you through it. But in the middle of the storm, that's what it takes, the discipline of grace to get your eyes off the storm and get back your eyes back on him. Abraham was finally coming to the place in his life that God was everything to him. And just to make sure, God said, okay, now I want you to take your son, your only son, the only begotten son, the son of the promise, and I want you to sacrifice him. And I love the past. You go back and look at Genesis 22. Abraham got up early in the morning. He just prepared to go. That was the difference. That was mature faith. He just got up early to go. And he prophesies because as they get a little closer, they leave the servants behind. And Isaac says, Father, I see the wood and we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham in faith, I'm sure with quivering heart, says the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And Abraham and Isaac become the type of the father and the only begotten of the father, Jesus Christ, who took our place on the cross. He's obedient, lays his son out, his son obeys, trusting his father. He's bound and he raises the knife to kill his son. Because he's already seen God bring life out of death, hasn't he? See, faith brings life. And the Bible says here, he knew that his God was able, if necessarily, to raise Isaac up from the ashes because he planned on burning him when he was done. That's what God wants to do in your life. He doesn't want to be like a hope so faith. Or I, I probably could imagine that faith. He wants you to have a faith like you read about your feet are on the rock and you're convinced your God can do everything or anything he assigned you to do. Not about you. Our faith is about our assignment, our responsibility, and then obedience. What's your assignment? Generally, we can say the church has the assignment of the Great Commission. Make disciple of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. That's our assignment as a church. And we could be left just praying for the lost people around the world, but that's not what he called us to do, is it? 
is to get busy ourselves discipling the people he puts in our path. And the great encouragement is, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful as he that calls, he will also bring it to pass. He's working that in your life. One of the most precious verses and, and, and great encouragement in Scripture is Psalm 37, 6. It says, he will bring forth your righteousness like the sun coming up tomorrow. See, we think it's, and legalism says, well, you got to give up all this, dress like this, hate all these kind of people, make sure you're hard on yourself like this, and then, then you'll become righteous. No, you'll just become a Pharisee. But if you will follow the Lord day by day, humbly leaning upon him, learning to love him, the Bible says he's going to bring your righteousness like the sun coming up in the morning because he's the one doing it. He's doing it. We read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me by still waters. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. What? For his name's sake. What's your assignment? In John 21, 19, Peter had been confronted about his failure, and Jesus was giving him opportunity to kind of get things right, acknowledge it, and Peter had no problem. Remember, he asked him three times, do you love me? He said, you love me, you tend my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And he says, Peter, you follow me. And Peter's kind of feeling like he was in, had the most shame of the bunch, and he turns, what about John? And Jesus said, listen, when it comes to your individual assignment, it means nothing to you. It has nothing to do with you if I decide he lives till my second coming. You follow me. We love to live our Christianity as a group or like this herd, and everybody's the same. So you find a church, you could be comfortable, and nobody will ever live any different or do anything different. And, and so you, here we are, this homogenous thing. <laughs> That's not our God. Our God is amazing in his splendor and his beauty and, and what he does in church, bringing people from all walks of life, all colors, from all over the world in our church. But our assignment is for us individually to find out, what is my assignment? I was uh, really touched with something that Wallace Francis put up by Charles Spurgeon. I think Jessica reposted it also. Serving God is not a matter of location, but a matter of obedience. A man's heart has only enough life in it to pursue one object fully. You get that? A man's heart has only enough life in it to pursue one object fully. C.H. Spurgeon. Whew. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4 and he said, hey, don't waste your time. You better be focused on what your giftedness is, what your ministry is, what your assignment is, so that you can hear from Jesus. Well done. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for those that have gone before that, that found you to be faithful. Lord, we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses to faithfulness. Those who have gone before. 
And Lord, it stirs our heart up as your children that we also be faithful. Lord, we look at the state of our nation. Our leaders, for the most part, have turned their back on you. But Lord, you're still the king. And we want to be like Daniel and his friends. That we determine in our heart that we will follow you. We will not defile ourselves. So Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lead us carefully and clearly that we might follow you. And Lord, do amazing things that we could not even imagine. So Lord, we're not here individually or as a church with some of our big ideas. Lord, we just want to follow you. But Lord, we ask that you use us and that we have a heart that's moldable to be used, that we can be a reflection of your glory even in these dark times. Lord, we desire to see a great harvest. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.